You can be turning in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 25. We'll begin there in just a moment. Matthew, chapter 25. I know that uh, uh, Chris has prepared the uh, May calendars for the San Gabriel Valley Ministry. They're on the... Uh, what is that called? Is that the heart? They're on the heart of the uh, fireplace. So if you'd like to pick those up, the hard copies, you can get those. Of course, they're on the uh, website as well. Great to have the two moms baptized this week. That was exciting. Uh, one, on, uh, one on Sunday and one on Tuesday night uh, over at our house. Uh, Chris got this uh, uh, sort of swimming pool kind of thing and... Uh, I spent about three hours putting uh, hot water in it and all that, and uh, it was uh, it was not jacuzzi like, but it was uh, it was at least not uh, cold water. But uh, anyway, exciting for for the families there and for the ministry as a whole. Title of today's lesson is "Living a Worthy Life." Now, Matthew chapter twenty-five. I want to set this thing up. Uh, I know that uh, we're going to spend most of our time in Ephesians four and five, but I want to set this up by looking at uh, Matthew twenty-five. Verse 1, Jesus says, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like. And he goes on and he gives a, a parable. And it's the parable of the ten virgins. And then he comes on up. In verse 14, he's going to give another parable. And he starts out, he says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. And he, he gives this parable. And come on down to verse 21. As the master comes back from this journey... He says to his servant, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is that if a a person at judgment is deemed to be worthy of going to heaven, what is going to be said to them is, Well done, good and faithful servant. Now that should be something that you want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Turn to the person to your right or left and say that to them as if you were the Lord saying it to them. The good, the bad, the in-between, understanding the grace of God, obviously, and the, the mistakes that we've made and sins that we've committed during the years. But in all the totality of that, God's going to look at our life and say, well done, well lived. You did a good job with your life. Now, look over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and 5 is where we're going to spend nearly all of our time. We're only going to look at a couple of other scriptures. We look, we'll look at a couple of others, but we're going to spend most of our time there. It is talking about, in this passage, how to live your life and give some very specific direction and input into our lives of how we are supposed to live our life. As with all of Paul's letters, the beginning of the letter is more theological in nature. He's making a particular point about theological type of things. And then at the end of his letters, or usually in the second part of his letter, then he gets very practical, an application of, okay, now this is how you're to do these things, or this is how you be living your life. 
In beginning in chapter 4, obviously we're skipping over the theological part of Ephesians, but we're going to pick up with just the practical things. And what he's talking about here, and you'll see this as we look at it, he's talking about how to live. In Ephesians 4 verse 1, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you, of course Paul is in prison, is what he's making reference to. He's writing this letter from a Roman prison. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So he starts his practical thoughts with, okay, let's talk about how you're living your life. Look on over to verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. And he goes on and he talks about, okay, I don't want you to live that way, but we're going to be talking about how you should be living. Chapter 5, verse 2. Of course, a continuation of the same thought. Oftentimes we get, you know, we say, well, chapter 4 ended, it must be something new in chapter 5. It's a continuation of the thought. This was written as a letter. The chapters and verses were put in many years later to help us maneuver our way through the Bible and find different things. So in chapter 5 and verse 2, in beginning of verse 1, he says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. You see the theme? He hits, it and he, he hits it again, and he hits it again. I'm talking about how you live your life. Come on down to verse 8. But you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. He's talking to them about how they live their life. Verse 15. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. And so he hits this time and time again in this text. This is the kind of life you should live. Now, if we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, we're going to have to be mindful about how we live, right? We're going to have to be tuned in and understand that if God's going to look at the body of our life, the whole of our life, and say, well done, you, did, you made good choices, you did well with, with how you lived your life, we're going to have to be tuned in to the kind of things that he's talking about. I want to hit four different lessons here as we look through this text of, uh, of God's Word. Number one... The fundamental of unity. Unity is is a fundamental that we have to deal with in how we live our life. Secondly, we're going to look at the importance of your gift. And specifically, we're going to look at the gift of leadership. Number three, we're going to talk about the foundation of old life slash new life. He makes a big big part here of this whole text is talking about, this is how you used to be, but now you need to be this. The foundation of old life, new life. And then number four, we're going to talk about the challenge to get focused in your life. Let's begin chapter four, verse one. You with me? Yes. Okay, we're going to study God's word together here and make some good practical applications to our lives. I'm going to read the first six verses. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you receive. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Point number one. The fundamental of unity. 
it's interesting here that he's talking about, okay, this is how you should live your life, and he starts immediately talking about how people, that if they're going to be the people of God, have got to learn to be united. They've got to learn to be together with one another and live together in unity and in harmony. Obviously, we are different in many, many, many ways. I just wrote down down some as I was thinking about this. We're different in our race, our gender, our talent level, sometimes our class in the sense of uh, some of us come from uh, wealthier families and some of us are in uh, uh, poorer circumstances. We are different in our age. We are different in our language. We are different in our culture. And we can go on and on, can we? There are just so many ways that people are different. And if we look at our world, every single thing I wrote down there is a way that people divide themselves off from other people. We're divided by race. We're divided by gender. We're divided by talent. We're divided by class. We're divided by money. We're divided by age. We're divided by language. We're divided by culture. All those things and many other things are ways that people are very divided. In our world today, uh, it is just it's amazing how divided people are from other people around them. Paul says if you're going to be the kind of people you need to be, you've got to get the fundamental of unity down. God's people living together are going to be united. Now hold your finger in Ephesians 4. This is one of the times you're going to go somewhere else. Look over to John 17. This is a prayer that Jesus prayed right before He went to the cross. And of course He knew, obviously, that He was going to die on the cross. This was going to end His, his time on earth. And so it's this prayer, that's his, and since His last thoughts, prayerful thoughts, about uh, uh, what's going to happen after He's gone. In verse 20. John 17, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning that the apostles, the twelve apostles, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, and that includes us if you extrapolate it down. So Jesus is praying for the believers of all time, because they're going to become believers through the apostles' message that they're going to preach. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one. Now look at verse 23. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity. And this is why now. To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Unity is one of the clearest evidences that people are true followers of Christ. Let me say that again. Unity is one of the clearest evidences that people are true followers of Christ. God's people are not the white people, the black people, the Latino people, the women, the men. The rich, the poor. It's all in it together. In unity and in harmony. Now harmony is is an interesting concept. And I don't want to get into music theory because everyone who knows me well knows I'm not a musician. But as I understand it, if, 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 if you were to have two people singing 
in, in unison, they're singing the same words, the same note. But if you have harmony, you have several different people singing that represent different values or tones. But, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> but harmony is magnificent because they're at different places, but when you put it all together, it's wonderful. Yeah, I was just listening last night. I don't know why uh, Chris had this on, but uh, she, uh, you know, on your cable TV, you got at the end of the cable TV listing, you have about a uh, hundred different radio stations or, or different types of music and that kind of thing. And, and, and I, I come in the bedroom and she's got on uh, rhythm and blues. And, uh, and uh, the, the, song, the, the song that was on was by the Manhattans, which, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of you guys have any idea what I'm talking about. Uh, but uh, if, you're, if you're old enough to know, then, you know, you're, you're a mature person. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, I mean, it was, it was unbelievable listening to the song they were singing because I hadn't heard it for years and it was you know it's four part uh, harmony of the four guys it was I thought man this is really good uh, how they sounded together but you know the church is harmony yes it's black and white and Latin and Asian and men and women and old and young and Latino and European and African and Australian and you know oh all of us together and yes we're coming from different situations and yes that we understand things differently about life and yes we understand things better at some level than other people around us but then we come together in the church and wow does that look good wow does that sound good it's how we live It's living a life worthy. You want to hear well done, good and faithful servant? You better be living in harmony with people around you. Particularly in the church, but even as it goes out further. Living in harmony. Learning, as he says there at the very beginning, what's he say there? Uh, uh, Be completely humble and gentle. Being patient. Bearing with one another in love. That means putting up with something sometimes that you don't really get. We don't always get it. I mean, guys, do you always get women? No! Women, do you always get guys? No! Absolutely not. And we could go down through the list there. That's a cultural problem. It's a race problem. It's an age problem. Do old people always get young people? Oh, no. Do young people get older people? No. They're like, what's wrong with you? You're an old person. You know? You don't get anything. No, we don't. We don't always get it. But in in, in the context of how a Christian should live, they learn to bear with one another. In love, the foundation or fundamental here of unity is crucial to how we live. Number two, let's pick it up in verse seven. We're going to talk about the importance of your gift, and specifically the gift of leadership. He says, "But to each of us, grace has been given uh, as Christ has appointed it." Now, I just want to make one note: each of us. Do you see that? But to each of us, verse seven. You guys there? 
Ephesians 4. I told you to put your finger there. You didn't do that. We gotta work. We gotta work together here, people. That way you can move back and forth quickly. But to each of us, each of us is each of us. That's you. That's me. That's include person right and left. Each of us. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, what he's going to do from this point, verse 8 and, and, uh, and 9 and 10 here, he, he goes back to an Old Testament scripture. He's talking about this idea of, of, of Christ distributing gifts. And then come on up and, and, and we'll just pick it up in verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles. He's going to talk specifically here about the gift of leadership. But before we get to the gift of leadership, I want to talk, talk about the idea of gifts. Look over to 1 Corinthians. Now put your finger there and, and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You see, if you don't put your finger there, you can't get back quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. We're talking about each of us are gifted. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. We're just going to read one verse here. It says the, almost the exact same thing. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, go back to Ephesians 4. We are gifted for the common good. We don't all have the same gifts, but when you put it all together, it works together. Nobody is not gifted. You just, oh yeah, I see other people. Yeah, she's gifted in this, he's gifted in that, but me, I I can't do anything. No, 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 no. Everybody is gifted. You're not gifted because you decided to be gifted. You are gifted because God decided you should be gifted. And it's for the common good. It all should work together in the church. Now, we're going to specifically look at leadership because that's what he does back in verse 11. Okay? Ephesians 4 verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles. So he's going to talk about different angles here on leadership, but it's about leadership. It was some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge in the Son of God and become mature, attending to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. He specifically talks about the gift of leadership and, and the importance of leadership in the overall development of people in the church. Now, we, we read down through that, but let me note a couple things that, that it says. Leadership is to be involved in our lives so that the body is built up. Meaning the body of Christ is built up. The church becomes stronger as a, a, a very specific intent of the leadership. Okay, now let's talk about me. It is my role, my intention, my desire and hope that what, what I do with you to preach, to teach, to counsel, to interact with you, that the body of Christ should be stronger. 
That's a responsibility. A role that I have as a leader. Now, we have other leaders among us. We have people that lead family groups. We have people that uh, are interacting perhaps more with you on a day-to-day or or closer basis. That also should be an intent that they have in their life. Obviously, I can't have uh, a close, deep relationship with every single member. You know, that that, that isn't going to happen. And so, to some degree, there's a subdivision as we go down on through so that prayerfully everybody's needs are met. But leadership should build up the body of Christ. It should promote unity. Let me say that so that we're all united together. That we come to maturity. That people are actually growing up. There's an expectation. If you're in a first grade classroom, let's, let's go back to elementary school. If you're in a first grade classroom, there's a certain level of expected behavior uh, with a first, year, uh, a first grader. Uh, what, what would be, I mean, let's, uh, you know, from the audience, I mean, some of you are teachers even, uh, what would a first grader be like? I'm sorry? Easily distracted. Easily distracted. Very, very short attention span. What else with a, with a first grader? Uh, may have issues with uh, uh, may have issues with whether they know uh, how to get to the bathroom or not. Okay. Okay. So that's two things. Okay. Now let's let's fast forward now to a, a seventh grader. If a seventh grader, if a seventh grader, now listen to me. If a seventh grader has the attention span of a first grader, it's not good. We would say some, some, the maturity process is not developing properly. And there may be a number of different reasons why I can't get into that. It's just simply to say that between first grade and seventh grade, you should have made some progress, shouldn't you? You, you, should, have, you should be further along in your ability to concentrate. How about the other thing we talked about? How about having problems with potty training? <laughs> You know, with a first grader, no big deal. You know, they'll, they'll get that. We understand that. But if it's a seventh grader, my goodness. We, we all agree. If you've got a seventh grader that has body issues, uh, we, we've, got, we, we've got problems. They should have developed. They should have matured. Leadership is to bring about maturity as people grow as they develop. They should be becoming stronger. Then he comes on down. Look at this thing at the end. In verse 12 he says, to prepare God's people for works of service. You see that? Works of service. Now look at verse uh, uh, 16. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. There is an understanding here in the church that as you mature, you have a part to play in the overall working of God in our world today. As each part does its work. Now I'm going to take one little sliver here, and I'm going to show you how this applies to a part of the work of the church, okay? The concept is giving. And we're going to look at a couple of scriptures. Put your finger here in Ephesians 4 and look over to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 16. We're going to talk about giving here for just one quick moment and illustrate this concept that each part should do its work. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1. You guys there? Okay. Now about the collection for God's people. So he's talking about giving, right? 
Now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do on the first day of every week. Each one of you. Who? Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Who is supposed to be giving? Each one is supposed to be giving. Okay, now look over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He's talking about giving here. And verse 13. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 13. You there? Our desire is not that others may be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but there might be equality. Now, let me tell you a story that I heard the other day that was a sad story, and it made my heart sink when I heard it. We as a church leadership were talking about uh, the, uh, the mission contributions, and of course we just talked about our missions contribution last Wednesday. But we were talking about missions contributions, and we were talking uh, across the, the church, and I'm not going to tell you which region this was, uh, but the person represented that region. They said, well, you know, uh, we found out something last year that, that, that actually made our hearts sink a little bit, is that we, we actually met our goal for our special contribution, and we were all really very happy about that. He said, but... Actually, what we did then is we sort of, uh, you know, drilled down a little deeper and we actually asked people, uh, did you or did you not give to the special contribution, the mission's contribution? You know what they found out? Sixty percent of their region gave nothing. They got faked out. Because they said, okay, this is our regional goal, and they met their goal. And they said, oh, isn't that awesome? We did a great job. But when they drilled down a little deeper, they found that over half of the membership didn't give. Now that means 40% of that region did a heck of a job. <laughs> I mean, you got to tip your hat to the 40%. Why were they generous? But guys, we're talking about in Ephesians 4 there, each part does its work. And we're talking about one little area here. We're talking about giving, okay? We could have talked about other things. But this, this illustrates... You as a child of God, you have an individual responsibility. Let me help you understand something. Judgment is not by regions. <laughs> Judgments, as far as final judgment, is individual. Now what you've got to understand, and this is your own heart and your own conscience... You've got to understand, you're going to stand before God alone. How have you lived your life is going to be the issue of judgment. We are gifted. And our gifts are to be working together to build the church up as each part does its work. I should work. You should work. We all should work. We all should have some concept of what am I doing to build up the body of Christ at this place. 
You understand what I'm saying? This is serious business right here, guys. You want to hear well done, good and faithful servant? You better make sure you understand what is my role? What am I doing? What am I supposed to be accomplishing as, as we go through this, this issue of life that we're living? Okay, number three. The foundation, back in Ephesians 4, the foundation of old life, new life. This is crucial that you understand in living your life. The, the, the idea, the concept of old life, new life. Chapter 4, uh, verse... Uh, 17. You with me? Come on now. Don't, don't, don't lose it. You have, don't have the attention span of a first grader. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. That you must no longer live. Okay, I don't want you living like this. No longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. In other words, he's saying, hey, the world's pretty dark, the world's pretty uh, sinful, and, and it's not getting any better. Isn't it amazing he wrote that about 2,000 years ago? And that, you can, that, that is a perfect description of our life today, isn't it? So, people are people. We may drive faster chariots, but, you know, hey, uh, uh, people are people, if you understand what I'm saying. And by the way, I've got to say, this is a total footnote here. You know, they're working on a natural gas line in, in a, on our street, and uh, for whatever reason, our gas went out. I, I came home, uh, I'd, I'd been gone most of the day, and I came home and I thought, oh, it's so cold in here. And, uh, and I went to the, the, uh, the, the thermostat and turned it up, and I thought, I didn't hear the furnace go on. Huh. Uh, I wonder what's wrong. And I thought, well, maybe something wrong with furnace. I, I think it's much better. And I thought, well, I, I want to make something here for dinner. So I put the pot on the pan. I turned the stove. Oh, my lordy. Gas is off. Man alive. You got cold in that house. I thought, wow. I had no idea how helpless I am. I couldn't cook anything. I, 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 couldn't take, I couldn't take a shower because there's no hot water. And I had a meeting in the morning so I had to take a shower. And, and, and man, that was, that was a quick shower. I tell you, baby. I tell you, water consumption was low on that shower. I mean, it was in, it was out. I was like, oh, man. And I will say this. It was refreshing. I was wide awake. But, you know, they, they finally got in. But, hey, the world's a cold place. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're spoiled. Now look at this, verse 20. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of Him and were taught in Him and according to the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. Okay, he's clearly talking about the way it used to be. To put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. There should be, and any Christian, every Christian, should have a clear understanding, this is how I used to be. This is how I used to live. I don't live that way anymore. I'm not that way anymore. If you cannot tell the difference between the way you used to be and the way you are, you better ask yourself if you were converted. Really? You need to ask yourself, where are you at? If you can't tell what you used to be and what you are now, 
He's talking about this as if it's a given. As if anyone and everyone should understand it. And they should. Conversion is a radical change of your life. It's a foundational concept. Verse 25. Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. You've got to quit lying to each other. That's the way you used to be. But we are all members of one body. And your anger do not sin. You've got to quit getting angry all the time. What are you so mad about? And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. Hey, you've got to quit stealing. That's the way you used to. You used to steal stuff. You can't do that now. You know, I mean, you shouldn't, you know, sit down in your purse at church and, oh, I hope no one takes it. You, know? you got to quit doing that. If you're stealing the sister's purses, you got to quit it. But you must work. Look at this. You, you must get a job. Instead of stealing, get a job. Doing something useful with your own hands. That you may have something to share with those in need. Hey, quit being a taker and start being a giver. You don't take care of your life so you can help other people. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Hey, you've got to start guarding what comes out of your mouth. You can't, oh, this is what I think. Well, you know what? If you say what you think, a lot of times you're saying things you shouldn't be saying. There shouldn't ever be a direct line between what you think and what you say. You better have a filter there that's called the Lord. You're going to get in big trouble and you start saying everything you think. You say, well, is it sin if I think it? Well, I, we can debate that, but I can sure tell you, it's sin if you say it. There's no debate there. Only what's useful for building others up according to their needs. We've we got to do some sort of diagnostic. You know, how can I help you? Everybody doesn't have the same needs. You know, Diane and, uh, and Yvonne gave a great uh, uh, announcement this morning for people who have needs in their life. If, you know, everyone doesn't necessarily have that need. But if you have that need, you know, then we try to meet the needs uh, in people's lives. Verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God for whom you've been sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness. Hey, quit being so cranky and angry about everything. Bitter and, 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 and hate, full of hate. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger. Brawling. you got to quit fighting all the time. Picking fights at church with the brothers and, you know, slander. Shut up. Quit talking about everybody. Along with every form of malice. Be kind. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you, forgiving each other. People are going to wrong you. That's one of the biggest eye-opening experiences. People become Christians and they oh, the church is awesome! Man, you haven't been a Christian for two weeks and someone sins against them. And they're like, oh man, what's wrong with the church? There's nothing wrong with the church that's wrong with the people in the church. People in the church are going to hurt your feelings. You've got to learn to forgive. Good being so hard to get along with is what he's talking about here. 
Verse 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, in the church, there must not even be a hint of sexual morality. I want to talk to the dating people in the church here. You're dating. You're not married. There shouldn't be a hint of sexual morality. You say, what does that mean? It means exactly what it says. If you're carrying on in your dating relationship where you think it might be somehow too close to being immoral, then it probably is. If you have to be alone to behave the way you're behaving then it probably isn't the kind of behavior that you should be behaving in. You understand what I'm saying? There shouldn't even be a hint of sexual morality. Our relationships need to be pure, he's saying. He says he's talking about dating. Well, yeah. What else he talking about? You know, sometimes people, you know, we're desperate to try to act like we know something and get out of what the Scripture's saying. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Enough said. Or of any kind of impurity or greed. You've got to quit being greedy. Because these are improper for God's holy people. That's not how we are supposed to live. Nor should there be obscenity. You've got to quit cussing. Foolish talk. Or coarse joking. you got to quit telling dirty jokes. Which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of uh, of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness. I I know that's what you used to do. That's how you dated before you became a Christian. That's how you dealt with things before you became a Christian. That's fine. For you were once darkness, but now you are light. Now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is the light that makes everything visible. That is why it says, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The foundation of old life, new life. I'm telling you, it better be clear. This is how I used to be, and this is how I am now. It's foundational to the way we live. And the last thing I want to say here, number four, is the challenge to get focused. Verse 15. Be very careful then. I'm telling you, when the Bible says you get focused and be very careful, you better look. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the, the Father, for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, get focused. Be very careful then how you live. 
I've got to pay attention to how I live. You have to pay attention to how you live. Be very careful. Not as unwise, but as wise. This is an indication that you can be wise. Intelligence is not a decision. You can't say, okay, I'm going to get smarter. A lot of people do that when they're taking a test. I mean, come on. God, I need to be smarter. How'd that work out for you? Uh, Probably not good. We can't decide to get smarter. But we can decide to be wise. Wisdom is a decision. You can go from being unwise to wise. You can be wise if you choose to be wise. I'd rather have someone that's wise than someone who's intelligent any day of the week. Intelligence is a gift from God. That's wonderful. If you're intelligent, that's awesome. I'm glad you are. We need intelligent people. God knows there's enough of us that aren't. It balances out in the body of Christ. Amen. You know, you know hey, you know, you invite someone to church and say, hey, you know, I want you to meet a smart one in our church. Here he is. You know. IQ off the chart. Isn't that awesome? Amen. That's that's wonderful, you know. Uh, but you can you can become wise in how you live your life. You can follow God's will. And what did he say? He says be wise. He says be filled with the Spirit instead of be filled with other things. Sing. Be thankful. Live the life that's a worthy life. Let's start. Let's end where we started. What do you want to hear? Judgment. You want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Now here's the thing. God wants to say that to you. He wants to say it to me. He gave His Son on the cross so that we can have forgiveness of sins. That we can have the grace of God and the grace of the Lord on our side in life and in death and in judgment. God wants to say that. You want to hear it. It's God's will. The remaining issue here, is it your will that it be done? Now, just saying it, yeah, I want to hear that. No, no, no. We're going to have to go a little deeper than that. It's going to have to go down to how do you live? It's not about whether you're here today, although that's involved. If you're here today, but what are you going to do this afternoon? What are you going to do during the week? How are you going to live? Let me urge you. Live understanding unity. That's how God's people should live in unity. Live understanding that you're gifted. And that God expects you to use your gift to make the church stronger. And people around you affected in a positive way. Live in such a way that you understand there should be a clear definition of old life, the way I used to be, and new life of what I am now. And live with the challenge to get focused. Some of us in the room today, that's where you need to really walk out of here. You need to say, hey, you know, Marty didn't hit anything really uh, deep and profound, nothing I'd never heard of before, but I need to get focused. I need to get set. I need to be very careful then how I'm living my life and start living as a wise person and not as an unwise person. Live a life worthy. That's what we talked about today. 
want to thank all of you for coming to church today that are visiting with us. We're proud to have you here. Of course, all the members, we expect them to be here. But if you're, but if you're visiting with us here, awesome to have you. Hang around so we can get to uh, visit with you and get to know each other. You, uh, oh, I, I mentioned earlier about the calendars. Chris's note motion about the calendars. Uh, so they're on the hearth over here for San Gabriel Valley if you want to pick them up. You are dismissed. Amen.